Hello and welcome to another Not Chilly podcast. We're up to episode 21. We're getting close to the end of season two here and where we'll take a little bit of a hiatus over the Christmas break and come back kicking even harder with season three of the Not Chilly podcast. On episode 21, Josh and I are watching the film First Man. And we're both like space nerds, which is a really interesting aspect of this particular film because though it has a lot of kind of uh, geeky, nerdy stuff about space travel, it's also a lot to do with the human story of a person. And it really like emphasizes that through the story. And so as space nerds, we can appreciate the small little details. But as a film itself, we got to get into the mind of Neil Armstrong and really kind of see how his experience of going to the moon really was. So sit back and enjoy episode 21, and thank you very much for being a part of this. Coca-Cola, please be our sponsor. We'll take anyone's money, please. Whenever there is school, there's always homework. Whenever there's a beach, there's always a towel. Whenever there is fun, always one. Whenever there is fun, always Coca-Cola. Okay. That's why jingles are fucking able. Yeah, totally. And I remember another one, Kit Kat. When we do, um, we'll do the Pixar uh, <laughs> series, but when that moment in, in and out with the that amazing um, like jingle that happens in there, and it's and the the, the, the stupid memory guys occasionally just send the jingle back up. Just to <laughs> shit people off. <laughs> I think it's so good. I remember that? I've watched it again. Oh, dude, we'll watch it again. Watch the whole like round of it, but like inside out. Do you have it on blurry? Yes, I got uh. I think I've got everything I like on Blu-ray. Wow. Every, I love... everything the, you like on Blu-ray. No, everything I like on Pixar. I love that picture. I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah, man. I have everything. I took oh, photos. That was such that, a good day. I have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite song. I have it on Blu-ray. Got all my podcasts on Blu-ray. Oh, my favorite planet is Mars. I have it on Blu-ray. Oh, my God. This is... <laughs> Speaking about Mars and traveling in space. <gasps> the Martian! Yeah, let's talk about the Martian. Which we got to do as well, because I actually have feels about that, and so do you. We actually would have a conflict of interest. Not of interest, but just a conflict. Sure. I don't know the difference, but <laughs> but I but it would actually be an interesting conversation. Whilst the first man, I don't think we have very much to, to conflict on, but we yeah. definitely have a lot to talk about. I thought it was good. Yes. The end. <laughs> good podcast, buddy. Had a great time. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Definitely not the uh, alt-right men's rights activist film that that weird article I read. Yeah, you told me about that, and I was already like, I was trying. I was looking for it as yeah, well. I'm yeah, like, Where really? Is this? I mean, like, yeah, but if no. it was anything to do with the times, the no, but uh, no, it's just not. It's so, this- so so much of the article's criticism was to do with omission. I mean, it even got to the point where it said it was something about like it addressed the fact where are the characters from Hidden Figures? Where are these? But where is it? it's like. Because this is a freaking film about Neil Armstrong. Yeah, it's, it's not about, about oh that one that that like time that he interacted with them. Where, where's like, the uh, the the freaking uh, flag going into the moon? Like a, a close up of that. Yeah. Where's the like? Yeah, that's the, right. The, he so was going much. on about the flag and stuff like that. Like, and so it was in a big wide shot. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. And the only other stuff that said United States was as you go up the side of the craft. Yeah, it you says see United it. United States. Right. Yeah, on, yeah. Well, that's what it looked like from the lift. Yeah. What do you suppose? What do you- <laughs> we want to censor it that. was so bizarre. Yeah. And in terms of, yeah, I mean, there, and personally, there's a lot to say about um about his wife, um whose name was Janet. 
I think it was. I think her name is Jane, Jane. Janet, something like that. It Jan- was Janet Armstrong. I'm pretty sure that's not good. I'm not going to continue to talk about her as the wife. No, good point. Um, Janet. That's um, a very healthy ex- idea. Yeah, it was Janet Armstrong. It was right there. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, and I thought that there was tons of depth to her and a really good... So far as you could when a film was about a specific person and their emotional state and their experiences, um, so far as you could address how that impacts on others, I think that they did her story very well. Mm. A a series I've always thought that would be really interesting, and this is something that was addressed in the uh, amazing HBO series uh, From Earth to the Moon, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm going to. So good. Um, I think the second last episode of the series is um, called uh, The First Wives or something like that. It's like, a, mm. you know, The First Wives Club, that comedy film had yeah. come out like soon. And it was called, I think it was an allusion to that sort of the original First Wives or whatever. Mm. And um, because of how much divorce happened. So, uh, the whole episode was dedicated to the experience of the wives of the astronauts. And that episode made me think, what a series it would make. Yeah, yeah. The was, whole thing. Just yeah. Made, yeah, totally. And it would, be a, it would be so lovely to see something. It would have been really great, but budgetarily it just wouldn't have been a thing. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, Flags of Our Fathers. Uh, uh, mm, yeah. So, it's this war film. And um, Clint Eastwood directed, but he made two films at the same time. He made um, Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from, from Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. So, Flags of Our Fathers is about the people who invaded the island of Iwo, Iwo Jima and uh, took it from the Japanese mm. um, as a stepping stone, allegedly, uh, to get to Tokyo. And Letters from Iwo Jima is a film all in Japanese with Japanese actors uh, about the experience of the Japanese being overrun by the Americans. Yeah. And so, there are these two films about the same thing. Uh, different perspectives. From different perspectives. The only real difference is the way that they cover the American one is quite different because it was about the guys who held the flag up and then they got turned into these big PR people to get people excited about war bonds and all that kind of stuff, whereas the Japanese one is really just the Americans coming to, you know, the point where you were either a prisoner or... Because, like, it was just so fucked up with... Uh, the the culture of the Japanese military at the time is so horrible. You see lots of crazy shit, um, and it's really hard to appreciate it without either documentary or film, you know, photography or that kind of visual evidence. Mm. You know, when you read on pages, so different. And um, so it was really interesting, and and it made me think afterwards, like, God, it would have been so amazing to have like you know this be one film and then have sort the of wives is another. Yeah, like the astronaut wives films. There uh, certainly was a feature length story in there. If that film wasn't actually about Neil Armstrong, then that yeah, it was a story that should have been told. But to be honest, it was a film about Neil Armstrong, and yeah. there could be a whole film about the other thing. But then it would just have detracted from the the, the main person of the story. Yeah, it, w- it would have detracted from us following him in the at all costs mentality that he has. Yeah, you know that we get into that mindset and we acknowledge what it's cost and how we feel about it as an audience. Um, you know, we're audience member. It's fine. We can sit there and judge him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as an audience member in the film. And we can think about whatever we want in terms of the context of history. But 
um, I, you have to choose. You have to choose yeah. someone to follow. Yeah, yeah. And um, and we we're talking about this today different. about like the uh, what movie was it? It was a movie that you had seen recently at a at a thing, and you're talking about like the difference between telling a story, which is just like every bit of information, take it, just whatever, just take the information, and actually being like, what's the heart of the story? What's the purpose of the story? What's the yeah. point? Yeah. And and that's what the point of this was. Uh, granted, I understand. I understand that like there is a huge story to be told on the wife of, and they they touch on it certainly. I think they more than touch on it. Oh, I'm I, I'm not saying that they develop it completely, but I mean, I I thought I was so connected to her character. Me too. I mean, that's who that's who I was with. Mm, even but, her silence. There was so much of her. Oh, just like, absolutely. Just like it was a wanting to say something but didn't, and then yeah. having that like spoilers, having that break, spoilers on history, whatever. Uh, having that break on um on him when he's just about to leave on the mission, like where she snaps, you know, yeah. like we see it throughout the, the course of the film of her slowly like breaking down and slowly like yeah. not you know, not not ever getting a word out of him because in a non traditional sense she emotionally abused yeah yeah right she's a she's emotionally abused by distance and and uh well, she's not allowed to not being let in not being allowed to confront the issues of lost of a lost child with totally. the person that should be the most yeah like, person you could talk to about that you know which is kind of the only scene that doesn't exist in the film really is the scene where it's like you think i'm not feeling this too mm. but i felt that in all of her scenes i also felt that within uh that scene where like the, one of the first scenes of the film where he goes into the room and he has a breakdown. You know, like I feel like it was explained, but it wasn't. There was no moment where mm. they're together having that argument. Yeah, I think one one thing I really love about the relationship between them in the film is that on the surface, he she's the strong one. That's the interesting yeah. thing in the film is that she's the strong one. Mm. She's the glue in the family. She's yeah. the one that uh, to look up to. In a in a in yeah, a weird kind and of way. she's there for him at any time. He he's really ready to talk. Yeah. Um, and I'll come back to that in a sec. But he, he's the crippled one mm. emotionally. He's the broken one. He's the one who is failing. Yeah. And despite what happens at the end of the film, I, 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 you know, I don't feel that he succeeds. I don't think that he... It's one of those things where you go, you don't, you didn't resolve it. You might have, you know, taken her bracelet, um, your daughter's bracelet, and dropped it into a thing on the moon to symbolise... Um, letting go. Letting or, go. Yeah. Uh, but we know that in your head achieving this thing that will be a singular achievement that is evidenced for the rest of the existence of humanity was still not enough for you. Yeah, yeah. Not from a competitive perspective, which is the interesting thing about him as a person. Yeah. Not from that perspective, but from how far do I have to go to be able to make my work fulfill me? How do I how do I feel how do I plug this hole up and it's like by talking to your wife and well that's what it. i was about to say uh, it's yeah. like no I go, I, I go as far away as any human being ever has in the history of humanity I that's what i do myself there yeah and as proof it's it's yeah. uh, that's what i think is amazing about the film and why i think it's so successful about the relationship uh the relationship aspect of it because it's I think that part is is incredibly well done and it paints him beautifully as the sad mm. um figure i mean it's it's that thing of and what i mean by well you know evidence and all that kind of stuff the difference between neil armstrong and every other person that's ever done anything separates so but you know he's the he's the last person that did a thing that was really human exploration right yeah james cameron going to the to the bottom of the ocean all that kind of stuff it's a feat 
of of earthbound achievement. Yeah. Right? It is incredible and it's comparable to space travel, but that's not how we as a culture feel that. It's sort of like, yeah, we know our planet, even though we really don't. don't. We've, yeah, yeah. we've explored more, a higher percentage of the solar system than we have uh, with with probes than we have uh, seen uh, of, of the ocean in terms of volume, I believe. And uh, the... The a huge factor of it is not only is it it's it's not just because it's the moon, it's because it was photographed and filmed and radioed and mm. and and that didn't happen when you know and I say this in quotations when the first men uh, landed yeah. in the new world right yeah like one of one of the things that obsesses me is, sort of in, in terms of imagination is and I'd love to see it in a film is. Re- reading um, *Sapien*. Okay, oh, I've heard of this book. Yeah, and I'm oh, sorry, I'm not actually reading. I'm using the audio book. Mm. Um, it's making me go through books Audible. so much quicker. Com, please. Yeah, uh, give us <laughs> sponsor money. this like sponsor you this. do every single That's other right. podcast in the world. I have 15 people that are willing <laughs> to listen to your sponsorship. Um, and what I wouldn't give to have a camera to go back to when the first a- Aboriginal Australians. First human beings, not first white people, first mm. humans stepped foot, put their foot on the sand of the shores of Australia. And uh, it, it's funny that I had that parallel because now I've said it. I remember in Sapien, he says those are like the two biggest, most significant moments in human history is like landing on the moon and Aboriginal Australians setting foot in Australia because of the what we then saw uh, because Australia was isolated so much from archaeology and mm. paleontology, we can uh, we can see what humans are in their raw, most most um, untainted is maybe the word. Um, I know what you mean. Though. Like it's isolated it's, in it's- in, our, in our most pu- pure human form. Basically, yeah. what do we do when we arrive somewhere? And there's not we don't know, right? Yeah. We do. We destroy things, <laughs> um, and. Too bad to Mars. And on one level, yes, the average is really well done in, in Sabian. Anyone should listen to it. But just like, and and what they basically say is how they amazingly tamed the land. And we've only just begun to appreciate what uh, the extent to which Indigenous Australians did that. It's, it's un- unbelievable. They restructured the entire um, ecology of the country or not country <laughs> of the uh, of, of the continent. And so that's just an aside. I'll get so that top book. Uh, you've all know it. Yeah, that's him. Awesome. Uh, I I wish that chapter went for the entire book. Like it's just the fucking best. And um, yes, that upset. Like, oh, what I wouldn't give to have a time machine and go back and film that. Mm. You know, and that's the thing. Like the moon. The last time someone had that type of achievement was the Aboriginal setting setting foot in Australia. Yeah, that's how big it was. You know, because they weren't. It was far, and mm. it wasn't. Um, it, and and it was that, uncharted. And, and it, it was know, uncharted. No and as knew. we now, as we know, they're the first, right? Yeah. That it wasn't the North Americans. It wasn't South Americans. It wasn't anyone. No one was moving continents except for them at that time. Mm. And and they had this this singular human achievement. In the same way that Neil Armstrong was first person, and there was a first person that set foot in this country. It's comparable, obviously. Like the the next, the last biggest thing was the indigenous Australians coming to yeah. Australia. I mean, because basically, in because it's the first time humans did a crossed an ocean to mm. to find another land, right? A true 
obstacle of insurmountable uh cons- like you couldn't conceive what they were doing yeah that's right they and- wouldn't have known what they were getting into how far they would have to travel what would happen if yeah. they landed would would they land like all of that stuff and, is and, like and we believe so i say we but researchers believe i mean humans believe uh, researchers believe that you know the technology that was pioneered to do that uh was what you know allowed people to move further and further and further and further and further and on mm. and on so um yeah i mean arriving in australia is the landing on the moon uh, of the prehistorical world. And um, it's that that's the unique part of, of what Neil Armstrong did and and why it's so incredible that that couldn't fulfill him. Mm. Purely because his achievement was something in the history of a species and him being a member of that species was the exact reason why it couldn't fulfill him because mm. he has the psychological capability to feel the complex emotions that allow him to not be fulfilled. Yeah. I just find that concept to be very interesting. Mm. I find it to be very interesting. That it's his very humanity that allows him to not emotionally feel fu- feel fulfilled by his representing humanity. <laughs> humanity in this, you know, if, if, if we all die out tomorrow and aliens come 20 million years from now, uh, his footsteps will be there. Yeah. With a plaque with his name on it, you know. Mm. Uh, it's fuck. I mean, that's just, it's it's incredible. He did something that, that can be, by the very nature of physics, preserved. Yeah. Uh, until kind the until the world the moon ends. It's uh, kind of described in like a little bit of his attitude towards it all. Kind of reminds me of that moment when when they're in that conference and and they ask Buzz Aldrin says, "I'm going to take some jewelry of my wife's to the to the moon so that you know so she has something unique to talk to her friends about." It's like, what about you, um, Neil? What 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 do you think? It's like. Um, more fuel. Yeah, you know, like if that's I had like my choice would be more fuel. Yeah, and it's. I feel like that's obviously that's also a testament to his character, but that's also a testament to like the lack engine. of excitement there of 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 even getting there. Like the actual. Uh, it's not a lack of. I mean, that's just how he expresses himself, right? It's, yeah. It's, that's. I mean, that's sort of the the thesis of the film. The idea of the film is uh, Neil Armstrong couldn't express himself. But do you think that's also that moment there was telling that when he got there, it wouldn't be enough? He would. It'd be amazing. It'd be such a great achievement. But he'd come back and nothing would change. Uh, I think that. I mean, a lot changed for him emotionally. Of course. Like um, he he would talk for the rest of his life, and he didn't talk to people very much. Yeah, right. He hated talking to the presence of a private person, and. he he would say things like when you know when I looked up at the Earth and saw it there and it was so tiny and it's the thing of someone with a, an ego would be like look if I can hold the Earth in my hand touch it with the tip of my finger mm. uh, and he said I didn't feel very big I felt very very small mm. and it's because he realised how utterly insignificant yeah. we are in the scheme of things and we can achieve stuff but what is that in next to the power of the universe mm. the scale of the universe he he had this appreciation that you know you're looking at something no humans ever looked at before and so and so i think that th- so uh, that kind of pollutes my view on 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 that a little bit in terms of saying uh, and it was ultimately like he didn't get anything out of it uh, of course he did like he got he he was a very graceful and appreciative person of the honor that he was given and uh, uh, despite the cost to him and his family uh i think that he was the right person you know uh we should be forever thankful that <laughs> the egotistical buzz Aldrin wasn't the first man on the moon <laughs> would have been uh 
Well, no, I, I, I agree. Annoying. I think. <laughs> So I don't know who I was talking to about this, but I was, um, I remember being, I remember, that's right. I remember thinking like this film is like caused so much, like you were talking about the divorce rates of people who existed in this, you know, who went and space traveled and did these first amazing feats and, and how, uh, like, and how much of a life change or how much, how much, I guess, I don't know if trauma is the right choice of words, how much of just a life shock it would have been. To the- I, I think it's a trauma. Yeah, okay. Type. I mean, certainly the way they depict it in the film, I mean, I think that it's, uh, yeah, anyway. But yeah, but I mean, I was thinking, why would it be? And I thought to myself, like, well, what's the difference between them and other astronauts? The difference is, is that these guys are doing it first. That the, 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 There is no actual thing that says we're going to get home. Like, it's just, it's yes. all chance. So, yeah. so, so you have to always pause and remember the fact that they were test pilots every mm. single time. It's like when there's that beautiful scene where they're landing and those alarm bells are going off. And mm. It's like, what's 1201 or 1202? It's like, we don't know. Just, you know, kill the master alarm. Yeah. Not because they were not talented, amazing people working on this thing and they didn't try to make this perfect. It's just that there's so many factors to consider that the, all these things were redundant when they were get, when they were put into practice, but they had to be considered. Like all options had to be considered. It was so important, hmm. uh, and it's and that's a testament of how like like that conversation he has with his kid. Not the not the conversation itself. We'll get onto that, but the actual like idea that he has to talk to his kids about the fact of like what's the probability of getting back, and his answer to that is. We're, 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 that's our plan. Our plan is to get back. It's like, yeah, of course that's your plan. But you don't have a statistic. There is no odds to this. There is no... No one's done this before. Mm. So you must... Like, this must be... You're either insane... It takes one malfunction. Yeah. And a small one. Yeah. Uh, Apollo 13 is the perfect... It's a perfect example of that. I mean, you know, they could have died. Mm. And um, on top of that, the only reason they got back was because they used the landing modules engine to help them get home. Yeah. You know? And... Uh, a bit of engineering. Yeah, and I mean, look, the, the things that are really important to remember is like uh, Apollo Apollo 9 went in the command module. It was supposed to take a landing module as well, but it weren't, It wasn't ready in time. So it took a command module around the moon mm. and, and back. So they did that. That's where the very first like Earthrise photo was uh-huh, that's so cool. was was taken out the window and um then apollo 10 took the whole thing and went um within i think like a couple thousand feet of the surface of the moon to test if you could get to low altitude and then come back um uh i'm pretty sure that's what they did they did on that one they did practice and then internally in nasa and from neil armstrong's point of view and this is the thing that they don't ever really address in films or tv or anything like that and they presented it to everyone at the time is we're going to land on the moon to beef everyone up and psych everyone because that's what they're doing mm. internally at nasa it was this is our first attempt yeah so that that's why there's that that great bit with buzz aldrin and he, and and they have that uh i think there's something wrong with the attitude adjustment or something like that and buzz aldrin says you're not going to tell them about it if he had forwarded on the er- the the first errors before the the master alarms were going off. Mm, if they would he, have aborted. They would have told them to abort immediately. Yeah. And they would have lost it. Yeah. Uh, and they wouldn't have gone. And the thing is, you don't get the next ride. The no, Apollo no. 12 crew get that ride if if the government doesn't cancel the program, which That's they right. probably would have. Yeah. And and so you have this you have to always remember this mentality of they were they were the test pilots. Mm. Why only one scientist was sent to the moon? It was on the last last flight out there on Apollo 17. One scientist, a geologist. Everyone else was a pilot. Why? Because you had to be a pilot to unfuck the situation. Yeah. To have any co- any possibility of surviving. And by the time they got to seventeen, they they went well safe enough. <laughs> you know what? Let's try this. Yeah. Let's send a scientist down and uh, see what we can get. Because yeah, 
because they did it, it's not like they just kept sending the same shit. They iterated the machines as they went. Of course. So I had like the lunar rover and when they yeah. were like driving around the surface. And when you look at the weights that they could take back of, of rock, it like got increased, increased, increased. So it was, they were changing things as they went. And um, so it, it was always that. It was always that. And the problem is, was this, uh, as I said to you the other day, you know, this total misunderstanding, thanks to NASA uh, PR, that they wanted to get everyone to the point that, yes, space travel's normal mm. and uh, it's it's a routine thing to do. And so that's sort of the mentality that we have today. And even as we saw the other day when the Soyuz mission was aborted and the guys ejected, um, you know, I'm pretty sure because of that, there's no other Soyuz to go up. They bring the guys down and I think it's going to be the longest time or the second longest time. No, the longest time since the ISS was built that it'll be completely abandoned and just up there in space. Yeah, yeah. And it can be controlled from the ground because they have to, because it's in um, low Earth orbit, it degrades in its altitude all the time. Yeah, so they have to give it a bit of a bump. And they bump it, yeah. So that's kind of the big question mark is, is everything going to go right? Mm. Um, And that's the thing is that it's it's never not really test flights. Mm. You know, it's not ever, it's always space travel. Yeah. It's always leaving leaving this Earth by the cheapest, uh, not cheapest, obviously, the most yeah. cost-effective manner possible, not the uh, necessarily uh, best. Um, it's the best with asterisks on it that are then determined by, you know, financial resources and politics and a hundred other things. So it's... And that's the interesting thing about all this, actually, and speaking back onto the film, is that it was... So much of this was, I guess, important to that flight, but I actually think so much of this wasn't the whole point of the film. So... Like a lot of it was to do with Neil Armstrong's. It was just him, him yeah. and his mind and what it was going through his head and and his experience with it all and and his wife's experience with like he, his wife's experience with Neil Armstrong going to the moon, not his yeah. wife's experience with Neil Armstrong in general. It was that process, you know. Uh, and and that's another thing that I really loved about the film because I thought that it would be this America, we did the moon, you know. Instead, it was this really beautiful human story. And I was saying this like my my, my girlfriend not a big space person uh like you know interesting enough but not like i am uh and she would have totally like actually probably enjoyed this story because it was a human story about something really grand and you could have even take you could have replaced space with you know anything any kind of even if even made up like first person to touch the sun which is impossible (laughs) but you know uh and that still would have been a relevant and interesting story because it was actually really fascinating the one of the things about that they really achieved in terms of it not being go america and this kind of stuff there was a real atmosphere of they fucking sent people to do this shit like in tin cans mm. like that they really do make you the th- one of the things i love about the film was with each takeoff that he did or each time that he was like in you know the plane near the stars like uh, yeah those b- wonderful shots that they stick in where there's rivets yeah why are you looking at- it's like they're not meaningless shots no they're going i just love those your life comes down to how good a job some person did riveting yeah. this shit yeah that's right and 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 that then plays on of an attitude about how people think about your safety and what life is and mm. what what what's the what's the cost and what's the meaning all that kind of stuff that was awesome the the one of the moments that feeds into is uh that bit where someone says you know says to him at what cost mm. and um it's deke uh who was uh deke actually was talking about like post when he does that crash is that that the lander yeah. thing and, and then they're like you they're can't like- you can't use that vehicle again 
yeah, yeah. Um, because I had other ones, obviously, but yeah, yeah. you can't, we're not using those anymore. And it's like, no, it's the only way to realistically get the landing right. Yeah. To, to, to train us. It's like, at what cost? It's like, it's a bit late to ask that question, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Which is what he says. And, yeah. um, one of the interesting things, by the way, they don't show in the movie is, um, Deke, uh, the, uh, so the, um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's in Super 8 and stuff. And uh, But the one who was sort of talking and managing with the astronauts all the time. and Oh, um, yeah. Oh, no, I don't know. But so Deke, yep. Deke was an astronaut. Um, in early in the early part of the program, they found out he had a heart defect that made he, meant he could never go to space. And so they made a position for him as, hey, you should be basically kind of like the astronaut handler. Mm. And so he was the jet, the kind of like adhesive that was between NASA and sort of going, hey, treat these people like human beings, do this, do that. Mm. And so he was trying to keep the stakeholders and the, you know, and all that kind of stuff on one side and being realistic about that stuff and what you should do and trying to be the human being interface mm. between him and the astronauts. And um, so that that was his role. And that's that was one of the other guys in the scene. The other the other guy was ahead of NASA. And um, that that scene beautifully sums that up. And, and I think that it really, it, it, it does that very well throughout the scene this people keep dying yeah <laughs> people keep dying and and that's one of the things that really one of the things once i realized how they were structuring the film what timelines they were going to do and stuff i just sat there and oh god they're gonna at some point apollo one's gonna happen here mm. you know ed white's a character in it i know that he dies and um i i yeah when that scene started and they said they were doing that uh, plug out test. Yeah. I just, I sunk down in my chair and I felt like covering my eyes. I started to feel a bit sick because I, you know, just obsess about the Apollo program, I guess. So I just mm. was like waiting for, how are they going to cover this? Yeah. <laughs> this scene. And, um, and they did it very honorably. I know it sounds really weird, but they could have gone gra- more graphic and look to create more like drama, but they didn't. They didn't need to, and they didn't do it. Yeah, and it happened in about like something like twenty seconds, mm. and uh, and it flashed over as well, which is what that's when they cut away when the flashover happens. When mm. so basically the fire starts, and then it just goes and eats up all the oxygen. And yeah, as it goes, right. is when they cut to the outside, and you just see that pathetic smoke smoke coming away. out through the hatch. Yeah. And it's quite interesting how they do it in Apollo thirteen. Uh, they talk about it in the lead up and they're like, hey, so these people died. And it's like, well, what happened, dad? It's like, uh, they couldn't get the hatch open. I was going to say, speaking about, um, you know, like nauseating tough scenes to look at, um, talk about sitting between two people and my uh, inevitable... uh, What does that got to do with the film? It's got a lot to do with the film and I'll bring on to why. Because it was like... For me, I I like just I'm sure I've mentioned this. I know I think like at the beginning of one of the podcast episodes, I literally talk about this, and it's just I have this like weird stigma to the sounds of food being eaten, yeah, or dr- or thing being drunk. Oh, you don't don't do this to me, <laughs> asshole! I gotta listen to this in HD. Ah, uh, no, um, I've got, and so, <laughs> so this movie, just starting was is uses silence so well. Because it makes a great contrast between silence and um, and like intensity, which makes the intensity really powerful. But the silence and the the like, not even my friends around me, but like the silence and just the general noise around the cinema drove me mental. 
<laughs> I needed to be in like my own space for that. But but I will talk that that leads me on to home what, cinema, my friend. Home cinema, exactly where I don't get to spend any time with any friends. We'll just do this over a phone where I don't hear you, and I can just talk, and then we just somehow <laughs> edit it together. So that but but I will say that that leads me on to the fact that like what I really loved about the film. Uh, one, I, I mean, despite the fact that I also hated it, was the silence. But the second part I loved about the film was that the, the, whenever they're in the shuttle and they're kind of like they're going through, obviously... It's, spacecraft. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, spacecraft. No shuttles yet. And whenever they're launching, the, the sound design in those elements, on top of the, the amazing shots and the way they shot it was brilliant. But the sound elements was so... I, I have like a... I'm a nerd for complex sound. I mm. love listening to really complex engines or complex noises things that have like a lot of story to tell in just the way that they sound and that felt so good like almost like that was i believe that that was either completely replicated real sound of what a launch what that launch would have sounded like or that was so well designed that made me believe that that was because that was so good it's uh my understanding is it's very well documented the astronauts spoke about what it sounded like and what it felt mm. and and the thing about it was that getting used to well not getting used to but the idea that you would just have to accept the fact that particularly before the launch starts there's a million moving parts mm. in the entire saturn 5 system right including the including the command module and, and the lem and valves need to turn on pumps need to be moving um mm. you, you know things need to be uh rattling and like yeah. there's no Rotating every part it's not perfectly still up. and yeah. bearing in mind that it's like you know as it goes up and all that sort of like white stuff comes off that's ice because of the cooling that they need to keep the fuel liquid mm. so it's it's that thing of metal's going to be contracting and expanding mm. and doing all these different things you're suddenly going from extreme cold to extraordinary heat then you're going to be in a vehicle that's you know moving faster than a bullet yeah. Um, and then there's also the sound of when it's attached to something to when it's not. Oh yeah, which I thought I really loved. They did. Yeah. The, they did. The, I'm not sure how accurate it was, but to me, it sounded like it made sense. It's like the moment they they stop thrusting, it goes dead quiet. Yeah. There's no movement that doesn't need to happen. Everything's in. It's it's moving in the direction that it has been set. And know. also, there's no atmosphere for anything to be pushing um, up against. Like, pushing yeah, up against. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it was so good. Like, whenever they turned on the little jets to just shift the thing and the whole thing was like... Yeah. You're yeah. like, fuck, that would have been... Because oh, it's, so it's a gas and from the outside of the craft, there'd no be sound. no sound. Yeah, yeah, that's but, right. And it was actually something I really loved in Gravity was that every time they touched, so they'd be in their suit... And there'd be no sound, but then if they touch the spacecraft, you'd hear the sounds from the spacecraft reverberate through the yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, yeah, not but not just like making contact with the suit. It's like if there was a sound coming through, like, it, yeah, touch it, and there'd be yeah. a rattle coming through it, and something. yeah, yeah. And that that would be the bizarre thing of being in space is that you're you are never experiencing the silence. Mm. You're just if, really experiencing the. Uh, effects of it mm. uh it's it's the effects of no air resistance of effects of no air so it's the sound design was excellent in the film so yeah really but i will talk to about the thing that i wasn't a big fan of but that's not because i didn't think it was bad i just didn't i wasn't my kind of vibe and that was the the 
handheld camera for me either felt too handheld or shouldn't have been handheld at all. And I was explaining this to you when we were, when we came to the cinema and I was like, for me, it's not even, it's the, it's the way that I see Neil Armstrong's character. There's something about his headspace, which I really resonated with. Not that I, I feel like I'm anywhere near like an astronaut, but there was just something about like the way that he kind of processes things in his mind and stuff, the, the kind of quietness, that, but that's probably like the, the craziness that's going on in his own head was, was so beautiful. And I felt like the movement of the camera very constantly throughout that film took me away from that silence not that silence but that kind of chaos that's in his head and i feel like the, that he is an actor ryan Gosling did a great job of it took me a little bit of time to get into it because i never thought of neil armstrong in that capacity i know i never done any research on him so i didn't see him as this kind of socially awkward kind of person that's quiet i guess is the best way to describe it and it wasn't until probably like 15 20 minutes into the film when i started being like oh man i'm starting to love this 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 the way he's performing this but i felt like there needed to be more still moments and the 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 chaos and the i guess you could say the the shaky cam was in his mind and i felt yeah. like that that didn't happen enough to me that whenever this whenever they introduced chaos in the handheld motion it took me away from the intensity that was actually happening in the performance that and that that that's a, that's a choice that's not a I, I wouldn't say to the dop or whatever that you did the wrong thing i just say that that's not something i appreciated in mm. that film and it took me away from what i thought was really amazing performances but i actually understand this kind of documentary kind of feel i understand that they also used the chaos of the movement in the same way they did with the sound. They went dead still with sound and then they went absolutely apeshit to give you that contrast. They did that with the camera too. There were plenty of moments where they just cameras on sticks and you just go bam, especially once they got up into space and they did that stuff there. And that's like a great use of the technique. But for me, I didn't like, I didn't relate to that as well as I thought. I, I wish that it was less, I wish it was an easy rig Maybe it was, but I wish it was an easy rig more than it was handheld. I felt the the walking, the handheld. I felt like there was a camera team wherever they were when I felt like I wanted to be in that room, not be watching someone filming that room, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you could totally, like, I'm not... I just didn't feel that at all. But I'm also not not susceptible to, like, shaky cam. You, well, you, you tell me, you've told me before that. that you watch a lot of documentary filmmaking and... Uh, like- yeah, it's not just that. To be perfectly honest, the only time I've ever really thought about it is when I've gone back and watched the Born 2 and 3. Oh, my God. And I've been like, <laughs> okay, this is, like, necessarily so moving all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. whereas what... Uh, yeah, I didn't feel... I certainly didn't feel like I saw footsteps or anything in the camera operation. It might... It, you're probably right. There but, probably wasn't any, but I just felt it. It'd be interesting to see you watch it on a smaller screen. Mm. Because it can feel massively exaggerated in a cinema, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't feel any of that. The thing that I have any comparison to that was as I watched um, Cloverfield, and obviously that was like notorious for its camera. Yeah, shooting. but I mean, I, that's I watched it on very, a plane. Yeah, and so I was like, this movie's great <laughs> because it was a tiny little screen and I had headphones on. It was I mean, awesome. That movie is great. I, well, I haven't seen it on a big. If screen. you like a roller coaster, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I mean, like, I, I had an enjoyable time. I've just had people tell me I couldn't get over that camera shake. Oh, I it's. I can't argue with it. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost a motion sickness thing. Same same mm. with the Bourne ones. Like, it didn't used to bother me. Now it bothers me because there's no purpose to it. Yeah. The Cloverfield one doesn't bother me because 
that's the whole. I'm watching it, yeah. someone holding a, ha- a handheld, ca- you know, mm. according to the narrative of the film. I'm watching someone's perspective from holding a camcorder. Mm. Doesn't bother me. So it's to me, it's about context and and, yeah. and visual understanding. And as long as I am, yeah, I I always felt that it was in a juxtaposition to his state of mind is how I felt about it. And the only time that changed was when it was trying to get you have that visceral emotion of one of the things I loved was how insane they moved the camera around when they like the engines would start up and things like oh, that. Oh, I love that. Like, what the fuck? I thought that was amazing. I'd love to Dude. see some like camera vibration tests because it was shot on film, right? And so I'm sitting there going, I wonder if you, like it was so intense. Yeah. It was so intense. I would love to see how. I like, want to know, did they shake the set? Because that's what it felt like. Like, they did such a good job of um, that shake that it felt like they were shaking the set. But I'm sure they would have been shaking the camera. I, but think, I, just, it bo- I think it was both. Probably. But, but awesome. a lot of the time it looked like they were on sort of 50s for that type of stuff. And so mm. you wouldn't have to shake very much for it to be uh, pretty exaggerated. The only reason why I think that it might not have been shaking is because when I look... Because I did a, quite a lot of shots of Ryan Gosling's eyes. And and he was very still, and that was obviously intentionally, like performance-wise, was the point. But it makes me feel like if I was actually shaking as much as I felt like I was shaking, then I probably wouldn't be able to maintain that stillness in my eyes because mm. it'd just be like your eyes. Are just be- but maybe I'm wrong. But like I just you just like- don't have to do it very much. Like um, for example, mm. all the sort of shaky cam that happens in moments of the 2009 Star Trek film, that's J.J. Abrams coming up behind the camera op and just. <laughs> tapping back and forth on the film mag. Oh, really? Yeah, that's it. That's literally... He's just going like... Uh, on, the, on the back of the film yeah. mag. And so this... But at the front end of the camera, it's moving like, you know, five mil each way. Yeah, yeah. But if it's a 50 millimeter lens, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Ooh. It's all amplified with... Yeah, yeah. Lens. So... And that's the thing. A lot of those shots were fairly close. They were on rivets. They were on mm. buttons. They were on, you know, dials, windows, whatever. Uh, they were quite compressed, close shots. Mm. Uh, but uh, the stuff was on gimbals. Like, uh, I've seen a few behind-the-scenes shots and videos and stuff like that, and uh, it was clear that they were on gimbals. You can't do that stuff without gimbals. Mm. Um, And from what I could tell, it looked like they did a mixture of wire and um, uh, 747 shots. I think they've done some 747 uh, weightlessness shots. Oh, when they Um, were, like, simulating space. Yeah, Um, and then some magnificent cg i think because mm. sometimes the objects would be like floating around and doing things like that and i'm like <laughs> yeah that doesn't look like cg did they do this in the 747 or did they you know cg it in so i mean I don't it, know. it it did a great job of telling that story and once again like a lot of it the beautiful parts of it for me were that there was so much to do with the human story. Going back to that, I know that I kind of keep Absolutely. turning back into it. Because even those moments where they're like, oh, we're in space. It's like there were like a, a shot or maybe two where they'd like throw something and it would be like floating. And that would be the end of it. Yeah. They didn't glorify those moments because no. that's not the point. That wasn't the purpose of the <laughs> film. And that's what I really liked about Prisoners. Uh, like, let's if anyone wants to listen to a podcast about that film, is that that nothing was without purpose. Everyone, the, the, it felt like that film was focused on exactly what it wanted to tell, without you know spicing stuff up, without making you know mm. bullshit come out of the air. Which is you know like I watch Transformers for that same reason. I watch it for the bullshit, for the crazy shots, and for the like whoa moments. But it didn't need those. The story was already wow and amazing, and it was a human story, and you didn't need to glorify anything. And they didn't. And it, and I I really appreciate that. Yeah, I yeah, 
it, it was I didn't feel anything in my face or and there was no uh, I don't know James Horner music or there was no like nothing was like massive it was very it just felt it felt quite light and simplistic to me. Mm. Um, as much as I love the mu- music from Apollo 13, it would have totally fucked this film up. So that music sort of like... Heroic. Yeah. And and it's... it's. Is that John Williams? No, no. I can't remember. James Newton Howard? <sighs> there we go. Lucky you have a copy of it right there. James Horner. Nailed it. Nice. <laughs> um... And, you know, what's really funny is I actually could not at all remember who the composer was. I was just remembering this style. I'm like, whoever it is sounds exactly like James Horner. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, and not to criticize, I really like James Horner, but but it was, it's grandiose, it's romantic, it's, you know, and that's not what this... Criticizing that would be like criticizing Saving Private Ryan. It's like, yeah. it does, it's, there's, there's no place for it. That's and not a people criticism. people do. <laughs> yeah, people do, but screw them. You know? I think people don't. Uh, anyway, we can, we can talk. We'll, we'll do we that. We will. Film we'll watch exactly. I want to do a few war films. It's very interesting that film. And um, uh, one of the things about this, and one of the things that's really interesting about the space program, and particularly just through the frame of um, the wives of astronauts. Yeah. Um, one one of the frustrating things about the role of the wife of an astronaut, you know, because. They basically they had to just basically behave like and saying this with like air quotes, uh, good wives, right? Nineteen fifties oh, yeah. housewives. That's their job. You do this. You're the astronaut's wife. Everything everything kids. has to be clean yeah, cut well, because yeah. you're the face of of the you know classical America. This is happening. They did. They land on the moon in 1969 in July. This is less than a year. 1968 is one of the worst years in American history, right? Mm. It is. Uh, certainly, you know, since like you can sort of say like Civil War, World War Two, uh, 1968, mm. 1968, Tet Offensive in Vietnam. Mm. Everyone's fucking turning on the Vietnam War. Fuck this. Why are we here? Why are so many people dying? Mm. Civil rights movement kicks is like way up in high gear. Uh, Robert Kennedy gets assassinated close friend to the civil rights movement, brother of JFK, gets shot when it looks like he could become president soon. Mm. Uh, people uh, people in the student movements and the peace movements and moratorium movements, all, all these things are, are really kicking off and you have all this progress. Uh, feminism is, is going into high gear, which will then, like, you know, make leaps and bounds in, in the next decade, in the 70s. And... Um, and lay a lot of, you know, important groundwork for stuff that's happening now. Mm. And that should have happened then. <laughs> should have happened hundreds <laughs> of years Had there not ago. been some more obstacles. Yeah, yes, yeah. should have happened 10,000 years ago. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the... So, that's what's really happening in the world, right? Mm. And I think there is an episode of From the Earth to the Moon called 1968. I'm pretty sure that, it, that, there, that there is one. Mm. Um, 1968 was brutal. And... Um, that's why it was like no one was giving a shit about the space program. Yeah. Because so much other stuff was happening. And they, they touch on that a little bit. And that's not the point of the film. It's not really. No. It's sort of like they, they, they put a nod to it. And I'm like, cool, that's done. Uh, they, they had a few boxes to tick and they tick them. They can't sort of go, oh, but this never happened. Well, how do you shape Neil Armstrong's perspective on space travel if you don't tell, talk about the time he existed in? Yeah. To, to any degree. Totally. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like he wasn't interacting with that. No. He didn't care about that at all. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was all about the mission. Exactly. So, it's... 
but f- from the p- perspective of a an astronaut's wife, it's like here's the world over here moving forward, and I'm stuck doing this yeah. in this in, in, and and so that to me is that as we were saying much 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 earlier, and it's just sorry, it's only just a thought that I realised and thought about now. The part that would be so interesting about covering that particular area of it in in greater detail, not within the context of this film, but in terms of like a TV mm. show or a different film, um, because of that incredible thing where the wives of the astronauts were, uh, it was like they got trapped in a glacier. <laughs> you mm. know, it's like well, ev- everything was moving at a hundred kilometers an hour into the in terms of progress, in terms of the future at the time. Right? We look back at it now. We yeah, didn't go drastically well but um in terms of it civil rights movement all that stuff did did really really well but in terms of true progress overall in time it's like this gave way to the nixon era and all that kind of stuff so it got bad and um which then introduces like a lot of other things cynicism in government lots of other shit and what but the incredible thing about what you could do with the wives of astronauts is this they're stuck in this glacier, like this glacier that's like locked them and very slowly not keeping them in place, but they're sort of they're they're progressing along with the scientific, the the human progress in one way, and then in another way they're totally uh disconnected um by circumstance from another type of a range of other types of progress that are happening. Mm. Um, they lived in this bubble, like it's so. They 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 did. They were in the fifties still. Like There's it's an crazy. Amazing scene. There's two scenes in the film that make me remind me of exactly what you're talking about. One of them is uh, she. So it was Janet Armstrong, and she was talking with her friend, that the, the other astronaut wife, and she's like, like uh, I I never expected to marry a man that's so like normal which is he's just normal and then that you know the asteroids oh what i wanted was stability that, that yeah that that, that was yeah. a conversation that's right um so i wanted to marry someone that was so normal i guess it's probably the way i should be saying that and then there's that kind of speech about you know like the dentist and how much the, the other wife doesn't like herself and then there's that moment with um because for me that moment is such a like it's it's kind of speaking to the story that you're talking about it's just really it they are in a weird position as as women mm. in that environment and very underappreciated and very like like you said they're there to do a job they're there to be the wife and then there's that moment when she goes off into the car to go to the um to go see uh, neil armstrong and she's being like you know like the news reporters are all over her house and all that stuff and she she puts on that smile face and you know like all the best that she could and then says that line mm-hmm. which is you know it's out of this world and then she leaves that for me and especially because like straight after that scene like not straight after but soon after that scene is that like incredibly sad moment between them when she finally gets to see her husband and they don't say anything there's no like oh my god i'm so happy like you made it like there's nothing to silence yeah. the hands up against glass that's the closest they have and we could talk about that scene for hours and we will. Um, uh, but, like, there's... And it kind of plays to exactly what you describe in those two moments. And you, like you said, you could open those two moments up and talk about, like, you do a whole series on that particular moment. And I, they, they could. They might. Like, they might be... It's a super interesting topic to bring up. Um, and, yeah, so the moment you described that is the moment I thought about those two scenes. Uh, and let's open those doors to that amazing 
final scene. It was that final scene of the film, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. before the credits go. Yeah, yeah, that it's like this when he's in quarantine behind glass and yeah, and they walk over. She walks into the room and her her manner completely changes once she gets through. Yeah, the last thing that's said to her is congratulations, Janet. Mm. I think I think it's Deke that lets her into the room. Yeah, I think you're right. And um. She's Congratulations, so sad. Yeah, and it's, and she goes in. Well, I think she's she's she looks angry when she gets in there, mm. and it's like it's just it's the, it's this concept of I think we talked about ages ago where like you can you can be on a track in a relationship, and once you're on a certain track, doesn't matter how much longer you're together for, you're you're on a track that you've you're, you're drifting apart, you know. Yeah, and then they're drifting apart, and they're at that thing of. I, I, regardless of the literal nature of the scene in terms of, yes, they're in quarantine and she couldn't touch him. Mm-hmm. But a lo- uh, to me, the glass has great symbolism of they never they never reconnect. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. They're, that's the closest they can come again. Mm. Um, There's that beautiful scene as well that, that talks about that last moment together because, you know, I, didn't, I don't think that it was just, obviously, the space mission that, took Neil Armstrong away from his wife. I think there's that moment in the car where she's where he's had a like he's just wants to go home and he leaves her at the party and she's awkwardly in the car. Apologize. Wake. Wake. Wait oh my God, sorry. Yes, it's awake. <laughs> That's even worse. Uh and so she's on her way home and then she asks that question. It's like, has is it is it Karen? Karen. Yeah. Do you, do you ever talk about Karen? Do you ever talk about Karen? And it's like, no, no, we haven't heard much about it. It's like and Did he talk to you about it? It's like never. Never, never mentioned it to me. That's just like, and then there's that scene, obviously subsequently, where the what, is it uh, Ed that goes Ed White, yeah, with and the says, swing. "Hey, you know, I don't want to talk about it." And he's like, "I think I left that party to come here by myself." To so I oh right, the one. scene after that, yes, yeah, and it's yeah. like you know, and obviously he's just trying to like bridge the peace, and he also has that beautiful moment as well, which is just a testament to the the dysfunction that is in Neil Armstrong's mind, and he has that moment when he's walking down the street with and he and Neil Armstrong yeah. sees a seat and he's like. You know, like he has this like happy moment of being like he opened up to me about this really important thing. And it was just a like a like a like a sentence of of like of information, and he's like, oh my god, and it's just for me. Like obviously the, the relationship could have been dysfunctional way before, but in the film, for me, that was the kind of that was the point where it was revealed that they were on that separate path, mm. that they're never going to come back again. Like they might, there's always a chance that the paths diverge. But that space, that that achievement, that astronaut, like the getting to the moon and back, that achievement was had like before that point, it was already deviating and it was wasn't looking to return. Yeah, and and it's you know it's that thing of when he gets into the program and she holds his hand and says it's a fresh start. Mm. You know? Yeah, and oh. and that's what she's expecting when yeah. she, when she goes to Texas. I know, you know? that really. she get, <laughs> she get, really. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, you know the time I was an astronaut? You know the time that I had a daughter and she passed away and then yeah, yeah. became an astronaut? I feel the pain. I feel it. Um, I understand. She, I don't. I she really don't. Sorry about says, that. She uh, says, yeah, this will be a fresh start. And that's what she's expecting when they go to Texas. So yeah. I, I think that um, that's one of the really, really interesting parts about it in that way. I think they set all that stuff very up very clearly. She's magnificently performed as well oh yeah i don't think any of it's subtle i think it's just beautiful uh i would say it, it, like subtle it's not about sense. subtlety it's just it's just it's just done as opposed yeah. to you know done you didn't have to i didn't walk away guessing any of that film no like, i was like happy with all of it but i but yeah. i love that it wasn't there was very little um oh, man what's that 
can't think of the word. Uh, Christopher Nolan in Inception. S S uh, when they explain everything. Oh, exposition. Exposition. There wasn't a lot of exposition in that film. I did, I mean, maybe there was, but I didn't sense that through the film, where it was like, unless there were certain things that you needed to explain for... to. It was mostly, context. yeah, it was mostly like, we're doing this now. Science this stuff. Test. Yeah, yeah. This is going to make you those explanations, stuff. yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't... I didn't ever felt like I was, oh, wow, well, now, uh, you know, Neil Armstrong's going through this tough time and, and he's feeling this and uh, this is why he's feeling it. God damn it, I wish my yeah. dad was here! You know, none of that. You know, that. he yeah. never talks to me about Karen. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, it's just like... Does he ever talk to you about Karen? yeah. yeah. Nova, and that's that's no, all I get. Yeah. No. yeah, not really. He says to try and soften the blow. Yeah, yeah. Just talk to you. Never. That's, At, like, that's all you needed to say. That's really what's being talked about. Yeah, yeah. That's right. You, you <laughs> he could, doesn't talk about it. Full stop. Yeah, done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's what I thought was really no. It's, magical. it's no. It was really good. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm... there's so much to talk about in the sense of it as a historic moment in science, but I'm happy to do a podcast about. Yeah, the, I'd, the I'd separate it. It's not... It's not um, that wasn't the point of the film. It, well, the point of the film wasn't... It's the emotional... Look at this amazing achievement. It was, look at this human story yeah, about it. And I don't... Who did this? Yeah. Not what happened is is really the, mm. the difference. Um, and a lot of time, if you want the what happened and you want it well, watch a documentary. Do you know what also gave me tingles? Uh, I don't need to know about all your medical things. <laughs> nice. It was the... For me, so much to... All that moon stuff. I, I just, I was so excited. You mean the film? In the film, when it was on the moon. Oh, right. When, the they, when they landed on like the moon. The whole, that's the, the whole point. That's what happens in the film, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole film. No, the, the um, every moment on, when they, once they land on the moon, even before they land on the moon, but specifically when they land on the moon, just yeah. the, like, it looks so amazing. It just made me, I was so what, what, yeah. what One of my absolute favorite things that they did was look uh was allow truly the amount of time he i was worried he would like step off and be like that's what what's most time i knew they build it to a moment but i was as he got down the ladder i was like oh please stand on the on the bottom of the limb for a while like he really did yeah waiting for the signal of the camera angle or something like that wasn't it um something to do with like it was a media thing uh, it was a a combination of stuff Yeah. yeah Because it had to be the moment, right? Yes, yes. It's like he's looking down, but you can't... It doesn't matter sort of how emotionally mixed up or detached or whatever you are. Of course, Neil Armstrong was standing there going, I'm about to make the first footprint. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about uh, to do this. And, and the way it looked, like the, the dirt, the way that the 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 ground, the shape of it, the like the, the fact that it wasn't... Cause in, because of low gravity in that environment, like not totally, not zero gravity, obviously, but low gravity... Uh, just the way that the the grains fell onto the ground because oh, yeah. they'd never been stepped on before, never been crushed, and how they don't they don't fall onto each other because there's not enough gravity. That some of it kind of raises and yep. in little, and it's almost they like you like, zoomed into a picture of a uh, one grain of sand and it's all bumpy. Yeah, kind of like oh, all that so shit. Well done. So good. It's oh. that, and and the, one of the things they did really well was that you know basically every astronaut land on the moon. I don't think this was the case with Neil Armstrong. Um, but with basically every astronaut land on moon at some point had to be told, like, get the hell back in the limb. Yeah, that makes sense. How long do they get to be on the moon for? Is it like 15 minutes or is it like five hours? Uh, do you know? Uh, I'd have to look it up because it was, as I said before, like the supplies and things totally changed through time. So, yeah, right. Um, yeah, like 
the lengths of time there on the moon just increased and increased. And so the maybe the first time, time was like 20 minutes. and then the- I think it was half an hour for the first one. And wow. then it was like an hour one and stuff. But in total, I think they spent like three hours on the moon. Yeah. Yeah, because like they would have around. had to wait for the timing and everything to go back to to to, to rendezvous with the uh, ship as well as like. Oh no no no! It, they they spent three days on the moon. What oh I mean term, really? Um, yeah, I think it was two three days. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, something like that. But they but it was be- like in terms of actually feet on the moon. Yeah. It was like three hours or something, and then it was like um I think it was something like two or four days or something of walking around and doing stuff at the end because they had the moon rovers and they go really far and come back and look at different things. I had, yeah, you don't send supplies. I had all sort of stuff. Well, well, you try, you do, you just wait until the last guy because they (laughs) never had scientific objectives. Yeah. uh, In those raw terms. So basically they were collecting rocks all the time. And that was one of the complaints of the scientists. Is like, you guys, they were trained. They were all trained in um, how Geology to how so. to look at, yeah, try and find good rocks. And uh, but you still had other problems. Like the geologists have found a rock there that was it was significant, but they thought they found like the it was kind of like the god rock, this really important rock that would unlock a lot of things about the solar system. Uh, it turned out it was like um, it had to be a particular color, and it was kind of like this like coppery goldish kind of color if i remember correctly like coppery orange or something and uh it turned out it was like reflection of light off of the lem like light bouncing off of the gold and it illuminating a rock in a certain way and so he picked it up but he could never see it because you got the visor down yeah like, yeah so when they go back to earth it's like ah son of a bitch yeah. <laughs> it was an important rock that one but it wasn't like the important yeah. they were yeah um, and they did so, yeah, there was so many crazy things happened. Like, what, one of the things that no one ever really talks about is uh, the fact that, because uh, they had, like, and one of the first tests that was one of the most important was finding out if the, the moon was a, a dead body. So, mm. um, yeah, they put the uh, uh, size uh, seismometers, I think they're called. Is that something that measures um, the, measures the, the seismic, movement. yeah, yeah, activity? And the way that they would test that it was working was uh, the back end, uh, the final stage of the Saturn V was on a trajectory to, after they'd landed, collide with the moon. Really? Yeah. They did it for every every Apollo mission. So there's like like a bunch of Saturn rockets just like blown up on the one side of the moon. Yeah. Well, not blown up probably, but like smashed. But uh, they were like, "Hey, if it's a dead, if it's a dead thing, it'll it'll have no background vibration, and therefore the only thing you'll get was you'll get this that. spike." And it happened every time. It was the only vibrations they ever had was from the Saturn's yeah. smashing into the moon. That's super interesting. The things you learn. These are the so thing- much stuff. Yeah, this is why we need to do a separate tiny tiny details about it. No one ever really like you can't. It's like this would be the most boring fucking movie. Yeah, movie. dude. And it- now this lands here, and now there's a oh, what was that? It's, yeah, exactly. Anyway, cool. Yeah, man. Um, well, Good movie. Liked it. Can't wait to own it. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I, I'm really excited to own it as well because I just think it's so such a beautiful thing I want to see again. Always Coca-Cola. <laughs> you finally got to do it. Coca-Cola, please sponsor us. <laughs> so I hope they don't, like, not that they can see what we're doing. You're using a soda stream right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, drinking I wonder soda if they, water. Listen, they listen to it and they're like, that's a soda stream. That's not actually Coca-Cola. Yeah, that, that, that is not a patented... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, dude, man. Thank you so much for watching this film with me and then doing like a another podcast about it. That is... Uh, you're welcome, dude, man. Yeah. Did I say dude, man? You did. Yeah. Well, that's how this... That's recorded for all history now. <laughs> it is. Bye.
Sorry, I, when I picked up my phone, I saw it. What? You'll see. I don't care. I love him. All right, so I almost forgot to do one of my favorite segments on whenever we do these kind of podcasts. And that is name or like, what is the budget? Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. It looked like about 50 mil. Yeah. Close. I'm gonna. I, I want. Oh, uh, close, the, but it's actually like ninety. That's not close. Uh, I want you to guess the box office at the same time. Ah, uh, obviously, currently because it just came out. Yeah, I don't know, like twenty-five, thirty. Ooh, really? You think it did that badly? Like half its p- cost? I just it. It's not fucking Marvel, is it? I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. No, it's no, hard, no. It's hard to pick these films. Of course, it is. I'm just it's, having... it's like it's so hard to pick. It's either, you know, no one gives a shit about. Like you can say, oh, it's from the director of Whiplash and La La Land. It's like it's not it's not Christopher Nolan. Yeah, you know, no, I Spielberg get... doesn't draw audiences. It's hard to know. Um, you're pretty close to the budget, fifty nine to seventy million, uh, and the box office was seventy five point six million at the moment. Fucking good on him. Yeah, hell yeah. That is yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm. That's, like, that's I wish fantastic. it was way more. Oh yeah, but, home, but it won't home, be. It's gonna smash it on home media and distribution and stuff. That's exactly oh, yeah. the kind of thing that people will not go Eat and up. see at cinema. And yeah, will wait to watch at home. Because no, nah, that's for, ah, good on them. Yeah, no, that was that's pretty. And I just enjoy doing that because I can see the answers and you don't know them and you're pretty good at guessing these things. So I have fun <laughs> with it. All right. Yeah, I find it interesting because he's quite cheap, I believe. So who? Um, Ryan Gosling. Oh yeah, I imagine he's a pretty low grade actor. No, like indie. <laughs> No, I'm joking. It's like, it, what are you? Do you rent that seriously? I thought it was super expensive. I wouldn't think so. Probably half a mil or a mil or something like that. Man, that's a so we. Are, I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He does a lot of. He predominantly does indie stuff. He doesn't do that mm. many gigantic. He does mostly, you know, forty to seventy million dollar. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I don't. I can't think of any massive like huge Blade Runner. That's about it. Oh my god, yeah. Can't think of any method movies. But yeah, it's like Lars and, Lars and the Real Girl and um Drive. Um God, he did Blade Runner. Yeah. What Blade a good Runner. role. Yeah. Do you know what's so funny? I, I, I would just say about him, by the way, and I think he did yeah. it really well, but I, people always say that he plays the same thing every time. So sort of this muted kind of oh, I'm not feeling anything. I'm suddenly feeling emotion. Mm. Um, I find him to be an incredibly striking and very intense actor. I find him to be very intense and perfectly... I just think he's really good at micro-expression. I find him to be incredibly compelling. I like him a lot. Really, I like, I like him favorites. as an actor a lot. I don't know how I feel about him in that respect. And, that's, and that could be... I mean, you know... He's a really awesome dude. Yeah, hell yeah. I like him. I think he's awesome. I love the nice guys. Did you ever see that, you know, the guy that made this... You've seen, like, Ryan Gosling went in his breakfast? Yeah, that's the best. And, cereal, and then yeah. the guy died and... Oh, what? Yeah, the guy that made that passed away. Oh. And um, when he passed away, Ryan Gosling made a video of himself eating breakfast. Oh, that's... Eating cereal. That's, oh, that's super sweet. Um, yeah, no, I, I obviously... Uh, I have things to say. But I do really love Ryan Gosling as an actor. Yeah, I think he's really good. I, yeah. I th- the thing that's funny is I just think that there's a huge difference between each of his emotionally repressed roles. Yeah, that's totally. What I find. It, yeah, it's, no, no. it's inc- all very different people. You know, it's not like Drive where he seems all muted and all that kind of stuff, and then he stomps a person's fucking face in. Yeah, shocking yeah. the girl that he that he's uh, falling for. Yeah, that's right. You know, 
That's a no, 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 totally yeah, yeah, different. You're not getting that from Neil Armstrong. He's not going to smash someone's face in. Never. And uh, even when he's being know, yelled at. Like, yeah, yeah. And then in Blade Runner, it's like, well, he's a Blade Runner, so that's the. He's a bit of a robot, but he also, but no, I thought that he was no, no. You're completely right. That's actually a really great way to describe it because I mean, I'm not a, like you know, I'm not a huge fan of Drive or Only God Forgives. Uh, I haven't watched Only God Forgives, but I've heard it's not very good. Okay, well, um, but, yeah, I've I've mostly heard that it's like. It feels sort of self-indulgent from a filmmaking point of view yeah. as opposed to being a compelling story. That's why I thought about it. No, no, that's fair. And right. and I and to be honest, I don't know. I, I wouldn't stretch to say that the reason why those films I didn't enjoy was because of Ryan Gosling, like him himself. I would say that for me it was something to do with the directing and the editing mm-hmm. and my expectations, especially in Drive, what I... Ah, uh, you expected Fast and Furious. I no, I didn't. What did I expect? We could talk about this forever. This is like a, like a... Well, we should do one on a drive sometime. We should, yeah. Yeah, I might cut a lot of this out. Have you watched Lars and the Real Girl? I have, and that was amazing. That was yeah. so good. Um, yeah, I just... I really enjoyed him as an actor, and he does play those... He has... Uh, he seems to be a unique actor in every role in that respect. I wouldn't call him a chameleon, but I'd certainly call him, like... Uh, I kind of think it's like... You've seen uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Oh. <sighs> With um, Steve... Um, yeah, that... Ah, that, oh, yes, yeah, Steve Carell. I think I have, yeah. Come on. Oh, man. Surely that movie fucking rocks. Yeah, maybe like I haven't that, seen you it. see him as this, like, sleazy, suave... Yeah, totally. Oh, With, uh, what's her name? Uh, Emma Stone? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah I, did, I have seen that movie. I haven't seen La La Land, by the way, so I don't know if he's, like... Oh, that was great. He's like, woo-woo-woo in that, too. I don't know. But, um... But that movie was like a great example of him being not like he was charismatic and sexy. oh totally. I don't mean when I say he's not a chameleon in this. I don't mean it in that respect. I mean it in like the, my first thought is often that's Ryan Gosling. Uh, okay, I don't. Have and that. it's it very rarely that I go. I'm, yeah. This is the character, and oh my god, that's Ryan Gosling playing him, and that could uh, be a visual thing. That could be like yeah. a lot of things. It's not maybe not even anything to do with him himself, but I just know there's a few actors which I just get blown away by. I'm like, whoa, my god, that's that actor. I didn't even think of it, and it also could be because he's quite famous, like he's very recognizable. Yeah, there's not many actors I like don't figure out who they are unless for some reason they're doing a crazy makeup job on them. Mm. So yeah, true. For me, he is a chameleon, but it's like an emotional character chameleon. I see. To me, that's what a chameleon means. It doesn't mean that I can't tell who it is by looking at them. Um, to me, to me, it means that like I can't distinguish who the actual, where the actor begins and uh, and and where the character, where the where the actor ends and where the character begins. Mm. Like if I can't tell the difference between that, it's. It's that sort of thing. Whereas, like, Tom Cruise, I'm like, oh, I just want to fucking watch Tom Cruise. Yeah. And get blown up. Yeah, that's right. It's not Ethan Hunt. It's Tom Cruise. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's... Thank you very much for potting again. You're uh, And, yeah. We'll, you know, we all love Ryan Gosling. Hells yeah. And we'll do this later. Thank you, Cockatoos. So that's the podcast for today. Stay tuned as there will be a new episode released every single Thursday. And to keep up to date, don't forget to subscribe using Podbean or wherever you get your podcast. On this episode, I want to give another special shout out to Josh Lumberg for coming back again and again and again. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Piotr Fasileski, and the music was sourced from the Filmstro website. Till next week, thank you for listening.